0: I know I pulled a quick one on you. I was just here a minute ago doing some stuff over here, and now I'm here with the mic on. And if you're a guest or a visitor, you might be wondering what's going on. Our senior pastor, Dr. Burroughs, is actually out this week. Uh, And my name is Brian. I'm the worship pastor here. I have the the privilege and honor this morning of not only get to to lead you guys in some of the musical aspect of worship, but now in the preaching aspect of worship. And I'm excited to do that. Uh, I'm honored to do that. As always, I love to move this slightly. I'm a lefty. I have that over there. Okay, yeah, lefties. Hey, I know it's here, finally, you've been waiting for it, Valentine's Day week is here. Yes, finally. Uh, I know some of you are probably, actually, maybe you are excited about that, maybe. Uh, Some of you maybe are indifferent to that, just kind of like, yeah, take it or leave it, whatever. Some of you probably loathe the idea of Valentine's Day, and you're not looking forward to that at all, but wherever you fall on that spectrum, the reality is it's here. And uh, so I thought I'd start this morning by just giving you some interesting facts on Valentine's Day. I got these from the internet, so you know they're true, okay? Uh, (laughs) Valentine's Day is apparently worth $18.6 billion, with a B, billion dollars. People will spend $1.6 billion on candy, $1.9 billion on flowers, $4.4 billion on jewelry. The average American will spend $119.67 on Valentine's Day this year which is actually up from last year, it was $100.89 since last year. So I guess uh, love just continues to grow in its cost year by year. Uh, men, you will spend almost twice as much on Valentine's Day as women do. Now, come on. <laughs> My wife's out of town, so I get to say whatever I want. <laughs> this year, the average man will spend uh, around $156. And the average woman will spend about $85. I mean... Maybe this year we start a new trend, eh? No, I doubt that's Sorry. I better stop right now. Okay. Uh, approximately 224 million roses are grown every year specifically for Valentine's Day. More than 36 million heart-shaped boxes of chocolates will be sold across the country. Here's one last one I thought was interesting. Uh, more than 40% of men would prefer not to receive a gift for Valentine's Day. Less than 15% of women feel the same way. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> Uh, Well, there you go. So there's some little tidbits for you. Our our culture really is enthralled with the idea of Valentine's Day on kind of a a week that's supposed to be dedicated to celebrating love and expressing love. I thought what we do in our time this morning is kind of just stay in that same lane. And so we're just going to talk about love uh, this morning. Uh, and, and really, uh, the title of my message this morning is What Love Does and Doesn't Do. And I thought it would be a good thing for us just to, coming up on this week to kind of focus in on love a little bit. And all kidding, kidding aside, love really is a very powerful thing. We would agree with that, I think. Uh, it's a strong thing. It's an extremely powerful thing that we deal with. People seek after love. I mean, they strive for it. They seek after it oftentimes at great lengths and to personal hardship of, of their own. A lot of stuff is done in the name of love. I mean, battles and wars have been raged and fought in the name of love. The, the concept of love has found its way into the vast majority of music that we listen to and uh, movies and TV shows that we watch, like The Bachelor. <laughs> I'm not even saying anything because you might boo me off the stage, so we'll move on. Um, but we are constantly trying as a culture to re- kind of define love and sometimes even redefine love and it's kind of lost its luster on us as far as the definition goes and it really is this undeniable force that uh, penetrates the lives of human beings and so it's a good uh, concept for us to think about and when it comes to our faith, there may not be a greater subject to, to really get a grasp of and really begin to work out in our lives than the subject of biblical love. In fact, the Bible's simplest definition of God, and therefore God's simplest definition of himself, is God is love. 1 John 4.16 says that. That by his very essence of who he is, down to his core, God is love. That's how he's defined himself in simplest terms in Scripture. Uh, Think of it this way. You and I have all experienced love. We've all expressed love in different ways. We've experienced love in different ways. And I think it's important for us to remember that the only reason that we've ever experienced love or the only reason that we've ever expressed love is because of God. And whether you believe in God or not, the reality is that God was the creator of love. He's the source of love. He's the creator of love. He's the sustainer of love. And so anytime we've ever experienced love, we've only done that because God has loved us. In fact, in 1 John, it also tells us that we love only because God has first loved us that we've only ever experienced love or expressed love because he first loved us and showed us what love is and defined that for us. Jesus, when he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? I'm sure many of you have heard this before. He said, you should love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it. Love others as you would love yourself. And then he says something at the end of that that is very important for us to understand. He says this, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And Paul in Romans uh, 8 says some, something very similar. He says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. I mean, just sit under the weight of that for, for a moment. Has fulfilled the law. Has fulfilled the prophets. All of the commandments in the Old Testament. All of the laws, the, the moral laws, the ceremonial laws. Over 600 of them. Jesus says, really? You can fulfill that in two steps? Yeah. Yeah. You love God and you love others. Because the reality is if we're loving God perfectly and we're loving others perfectly, there would be no need for a law. You see how that works? And so biblical love is really quite important for us, but our culture doesn't help us out in this way. Uh, our culture is, is just kind of flippantly throws the word around. Uh, it, it, it does, it's lost its, its meaning. It's been stripped down to just kind of mean affection for something or a feeling that you get. Or sometimes even just tolerance. Our own English language fails us because we only have one term for it, right? Love. Like, that's, that's why in the same breath I can say, I love my wife and I love tacos. <laughs> I love me some tacos, right? And so we kind of just throw the word out and we use it all, all over the place and our own English language fails us in that. Um, so I thought what we would do is we'd kind of just come back to the core of what that really looks like. Because it's extremely important for us. And so we're going to look this morning. No better place we could go in the New Testament than 1 Corinthians 13. Now you might be familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, Chances are uh, this this passage was recited at your wedding or a wedding that you've attended. Uh, It's known as the love chapter. It's also been called the hymn of love. It's one of the Apostle Paul's greatest and most well-known works. And so let's look at it. Here's what it says. 1 Corinthians. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And kind of the point that I want us to really go away understanding more clearly this morning, and this is the, this is the, this is the crucial point, this is the one that I, I hope you go away with, is this. Love is the single most important aspect in the life of the believer. And I bet if you ask some people, some believers, what what that is, you you may get some different answers. Well, I think it's faith, or I think it's hope, or I think it's our mission, or our evangelism, or our theology. But it's love. The Apostle Paul, in the first three verses, what we just read, tells us that we can speak in the language of angels, we can have all faith, we can have prophetic powers, we can understand all mysteries, have all knowledge, have all faith, give everything away, sacrifice our own bodies, but if you don't have love, you're nothing, and you gain nothing. John 13, 34, and 35 say it this way. Jesus said it this way. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You'll know he's, you'll know they're my disciples. Not if they have good theology, not if they have this awesome faith. If you love. John 15, 9 says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And then he says, abide in my love. We're actually told in scripture all over the place, all these different things we're supposed to do with love. Abide in love. It also says we're told to pursue love, to put on love, to increase and abound in love, to be sincere in love, to be united in love, to be fervent in love, and to stir up one another in love. Love, according to the Apostle Paul, what we just read, is even more important than faith. It is not your faith that can fulfill the law and the prophets. It's not your hope. It's not your theology or your doctrine. It's love. And so it's important for us to understand that. But what type of love? I I said a minute ago, our English language even fails us in this, so we've got to define what type of love we're talking about. I don't know if you saw the Super Bowl last week, um, but there was a commercial that was on during the Super Bowl. It's one of these sentimental commercials. I think it was from uh, New York Life. And they actually talked about this concept. The, con- the commercial said uh, the ancient Greeks used different types of words to define love. And they, and they talked about how they used storge, and they used phileo, which was the brotherly love in, in this, this type of affection. And they used eros, which was this romantic love uh, that you have for one another. And then, then they said, and there's one last type of love that the ancient Greeks used, which was agape love. And they talked about agape love, and they gave little... It Since was, it was nice, it was sentimental, it was completely false, but it was nice. Um, in fact, the fact of the matter is the ancient Greeks never used the term agape. You know where the term agape came from? It came from the church. It's all over the New Testament. The ancient Greeks used the other ones, but they didn't use agape. The Christians coined the term agape, and they coined it specifically to describe and talk about God's type of love. A divine love. A love that, yes, it it, it gives even though it does not receive. A love that's sacrificial. A love that puts others in front of itself. It's this divine love used to describe God. And it's this love, agape, that is mentioned here in 1 Corinthians 13 when it says, love is, it says agape is. And so here's the first thing we see is this love is patient and kind. Agape is patient and kind. God's divine love is patient and kind. So what I want to do is I just want to walk through this and I want to give you some uh, original context of what's going on and because I think we can get uh, mixed ideas of what is actually being said. For instance, it says love is patient. Now we would think of patience when it comes to love as maybe kind of I'll wait for you. If you go away, I'm going to save myself you. I'm going to wait for you. That's not the type of patience that is talked about in here. In fact, the type of patience that is talked about with agape love is better translated patient in suffering. That even when someone harms you, you are patient, you are forbearing with them in your love for them. And then the next one is kind. It says it's kind. Now, the the noun kindness is actually all over the New Testament. It's used all over the place. But only here in this one instance in this passage is, the, is, is kindness used as a verb. It's the only time. And so that carries with it an idea that there is an action involved in this agape love. It is to be something, it is to do something, it moves, it acts. It's to be merciful, it's to be gracious. And the next point I want us to understand is this agape love is not a verb. It's not a feeling, or it is a verb, sorry, it's not a feeling, it's an action. Agape love acts, it does something, it moves. And so the Apostle Paul says, here's here's agape love, let me give you two positives first. So he gives us it's patient, and then he gives us it's kind. And the patient idea is that there's an inward humility, a passive response, and the kindness is an outward active response of action. Here's one way you could break it down, and, and look at it this way agape is and so on one side you have patience which is a passive response and then he lists all the thing under patience that love does not do or is not and then on the other side there's kind which is the verb kind and is an active response and he lists all of those things under kindness so the first one look at it patience it does not envy or boast it does not envy This is the idea of intense negative feelings about someone else's accomplishments. We might know of this as jealousy, a negative jealousy, a negative jealousy. Then it says it does not boast. This is to heap praise on oneself. So not only does it not heap praise on oneself and look towards its own accolades, it also doesn't put others down when they accomplish something as well. Then the next one says it's not arrogant or rude. The term arrogant just means it, uh, it, it doesn't let oneself get over self-assured because what happens when we do that? When we become arrogant, what tends to happen is we look down on other people and we begin to belittle them and that's what he's talking about when he says rude. The term rude could actually better be translated dishonor someone. So love is never going to dishonor someone by thinking you're greater or more elevated than that person. The next one says it does not insist on its own way. It cares about and thinks about what other people have to say or to think. It is not irritable or resentful. Uh, The term irritable, it it doesn't allow oneself to get carried away with anger. And resentful actually was an accounting term that they used. It it meant keep a list of Wrongs, So love is never going to make a list of all the wrongs that have been done and hold that over someone's head. And then last it says it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. And I think this one is really important to note because the term can better be understood as love does not celebrate sin or evil. Love does not celebrate sin or evil. Whether it's our own sin or the sin of others, love can never celebrate that. I think a lot of people on the outside of the church want to point a finger at the church and say, hey, you guys are supposed to be so loving, but yet you don't accept this or you don't accept that. You don't care about this or you don't tolerate that, but you see, the the reality remains that love never celebrates sin or evil. It cannot. Not divine love. Not divine love. And that's important for us to remember, whether it's our own sin or someone else's, because we understand that it is sin that separates us from God. So why would we celebrate that? We can't do that. That is being unloving. And there's a lot of other churches out there that want to just say, no, it's, a, it's okay, we're going to just accept and we're going to love you. And that's not loving to a certain degree. Now, you can love someone and still disagree with those things. But agape love never celebrates sin. Our own or anyone else's. And then at the end of that phrase, he actually says, it doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but celebrates or rejoices in the truth. God's truth. That when truth wins, we rejoice. That when righteousness and holiness win, we would rejoice. So this implies the biblical notion of justice as well, within love. That we long for, through our love, divine justice to take place. And so from there, he kind of uses that as a bridge. He says, nothing does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And he uses that as a bridge over to the positives, to the active response that would fall under kindness. And he says these, these things. He says, love bears all things. This means it covers, it protects, it, it bears up against difficulties. It believes all things is next. It's not this naive... This, this um, believes all things is tricky because it actually has to do more with trust when you look into what was originally spoken. So it has to do more with trust. It trusts, and it's not this naive trust, like trusting someone when they're, untru- when they're, they're tr- uh, not trustworthy. It's not a naive trust. In fact, it has a, a sense of trusting God more than trusting anyone else. It's kind of the idea that, God, I don't trust this person really as far as I could throw them. But I trust you... And I trust that you know what's best for me and you know what's best for this person. And I trust you in yours, your desire that I walk in love with this person so I'm going to trust you through that process. It's not a naive trust. The next one is the same. It, um, it hopes all things. It's not this naive hope of I just hope everything will turn out right. No, remember, these are actions. It's an action. It's, it's, it's more about hoping and, and believing God and the assurance of God through the process of you working out what agape love is in your life. God, I know this is going to be difficult. I know this is going to be hard. This is is going to be messy, and it's going to be dirty for me to love this way. fights against my nature. But I am going to hope and be assured in you to get me through this process. And the last one is it endures all things. It it never ends. It, It never gives up. It perseveres. So what I would like for us to do this morning is we look at this list and as I kind of just shotgunned you through what all those original meanings kind of meant, is I want you to see this is not an exhaustive definition. I wouldn't even know if we would call it a definition, more an example of love. Uh, Because we can go to other places in the New Testament, we can see other angles of what agape love is, but this is a very good one to look at. And I want us to look at this, agape love, the patience, the passive inward response of, uh, of humility and what that does not do and is not. And then the kindness, the active response as well. And what that does do and all of those things. And our question this morning for all of us really is how are we doing with that? Me included. How are we doing with with that type of love evidenced in our lives? I mean, come on, let's be honest. That is tough stuff right there. That is something that is so foreign to our nature That it completely fights against our nature. I mean, honestly, who loves like that? Who could love like that? And we should really feel the weight of how short we fall to fulfilling that type of love in our life. But here's the thing I think that that's the point. I think that's the point. Because remember, this is agape love, this is divine love, this is God's love. And so if it's divine and if it's of God, of course it's not going to be natural for us. We are going to need God to help us with this. So the next point I want to make is this, agape love will only come out of us as God works in us. If it's a divine love that fights against our very nature, then we have to have God help us with this. It's not going to come out of us naturally. And that will only happen as God works in us. Especially because, think about it, we're called to love the stranger, to love the foreigner. We're called to love the unlovable. Uh, We're even called to love our enemies. I mean, how on earth do you agape your enemy apart from God's help? How do you Love someone who has repeatedly offended you and harmed you. This is no easy task. And so I want to give you just a thought this morning, um, something that's been helpful for me and, and as we look at what does that mean. And it's this, this question that we can ask, what does loving this person look like for me? I know that that seems very simplistic, But the reality is it's going to be different from person to person and situation to situation. But as you seek the scriptures, and as you converse with God, God, I'm struggling with even liking this person, let alone loving them, in your honesty with God. But you called me to be marked by love, and so I need you to help me understand what in my situation that I'm in with this person does agapeing them look like. And I'm not just saying that flippantly, I'm telling you right now I'm walking through that in my life. With someone in my life and in my family, my wife and I are walking through this idea. How do we love this person? How do we really do this? And we've had to have some hard, honest conversations and prayers with God about this idea. And so I'm with you. This is tough. And it is a process. Last, last week, Pastor even said he was talking about forgiveness. And he said forgiveness is a process. You're here. You need to get to here. It sometimes it's, it, you know, you're not just going to shoot straight up to forgiveness. There's going to be a roller coaster. You're going to have ups and downs, but the point is that that roller coaster continues to, to go up and up until you get to that point, point. and love in this agape sense is going to be the same way. It is a process. God, show me how am I supposed to love this person like you want me to love them? What does that look like in the situation that I'm in? But really, uh, my main goal for, for us this, this morning is just to reevaluate our love because it's the most important aspect in our lives. We should be marked by our love. And so the next point that I want us to see is this. If love was the one thing we did well as a church, we will do well as a church. And if love was the one thing you did well as a follower of Christ, you will do well as a follower of Christ. Yes, you have all of those other things. You you try to elevate your own faith in your life, you try to understand better theology and doctrine, you try to go and share the gospel and evangelize, but all of those things have to start and come from a place of love. And if love was the one thing that we went after, and love, biblical love, agape love, was the one thing that we focused on in our lives, we're going to do well. And we're going to honor God. And we're going to give people to Jesus. Because that's what agape love does. It draws us in. And that's the, the, really the last point that I want to make. Is that I would like for us all this morning, as we see this divine, amazing love, to see agape love, to see God's love inside of our Savior. Earlier I asked, who could possibly love like this? Well, there's one who did, right? And his name was Jesus Christ. He loved like this. And so we need to see agape love through the lens of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, the the most well-known scripture in our verse in all of scripture is what? John 3.16. For God so agaped the world, so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And the last point I want to make is this. If true love reveals itself most in loving the unlovable, then true love has revealed itself through Jesus Christ. Because that's what he did for us. Completely lost, completely unlovable, and he said, I know I love you. With all of those attributes of love, I pour them out on you. Romans 5, 6, and 8 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, But God shows his agape, his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still hostile to God, while we were still his enemy, while we were so unlovable, lost in our sins, broken, wretched, dirty sinners, he said even in that, the worst of who you are, I agape you to the point of I will die for you. I will sacrifice myself for you, even if it's not reciprocated. This is God's divine love. And we must always see it inside of our Savior. So if we get wrapped up in our culture's definition of love, and and we're, we're, we're wondering sometimes, what is love really? All we need to do and all we need to remember is that love has an origin. It has a beginning, and it's God. And love has an example, and it's Jesus Christ. And love is clearest at the cross when Christ would die for us and allow us to experience salvation through his, through faith in him. And we need to remember that. And one last scripture that I want to read for us is this. Romans 2, 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to draw you to repentance? And, and so my my hope is this morning, if there is anyone in here who has yet given their life, to to give their life to Jesus Christ, that they might, you might for maybe the first time really honestly see this amazing love on display for you from from Jesus Christ who says, I love you in spite of you. And you would see his kindness on display and you would allow that to draw your hearts to repentance and to faith and trust in, in him. And for some of us, you know, in a moment we're going to have a time of response. We do this every week. It's, it's purposeful. When, when, when the, the scriptures are read, whether it's good or bad, you should respond to that. It's God's word. It's his powerful word. And so we're going to have in a moment a time of response. And so if that is you, we would ask that you would come and you'd give your life to Jesus Christ. You don't have to come, but we would love to accept you and receive you. And pray with you. You can, There will be a number on the screen. You can text that number and you can let us know. You can put it on a connect card and you can drop that. And, and let us let us know. So I'd love if that's you for you to respond that way. And then for some of us, I know that there are some difficult relationships we're dealing with. And I'm walking in it with you. But we are called to love and we're, we should be marked by our love. And our lives really should radiate this type of divine love. And so maybe for us, our response this morning is to say, God, I, I need your help with this. If it's a divine love that comes from you, then you've got to do this in me. And you've got to show me what it looks like to love this person. And maybe that's your response. If, if Some of us will be up here, we'd love to pray for you and for that situation if you'd like us to. You can come to the altar and kneel and pray. You can pray where you are. Some of us may need to just stand and just praise God for his love, maybe that's your response. Maybe you just need to rededicate this idea of love in your life, that it is the most important aspect in your life as a believer. God, I haven't been doing very well with that in my life. Help me to radiate that better. And help us all, God, to see our Savior through the light of this awesome, amazing love. And so whether you come to the throne physically, or I'm sorry, you come to the altar this morning physically, or you come to the altar in your heart, let's all come to the altar this morning and let's respond to this amazing love that he has given us in spite of us. And thank him for his love and then walk and act in that love. So Father, thank you for it this morning. Thank you, God, for an opportunity and a chance to come and to to worship you to remember you, to reflect on you, and and even in these few moments, God, to, to reflect on your amazing love for us, this divine love that is so just opposite of who we are, and we admit that to you. God, we admit that we often fail in how we should radiate this type of love. So forgive us for that, and God, we're asking that you would help us with that, that you would help us to see the great love with which you have loved us and then take that love and extend it to others as well as they have need. For those that are dealing with very difficult situations and relationships, help us, God. Help us see how we can better love this person, what that looks like for us specifically in that situation and give us the strength to to work on that and to act on that. And thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave us the ultimate example of love. We love you in response to your love for us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we have a moment of response?